David, I love that candle you're burning. You seem to always have a great candle burning. I am very aware of how room smells. When you've spent over a decade with a 75 pound Labrador retriever and two teenage boys, you start to worry that your house smells like the inside of a gym bag. I would imagine so. You know what I wish we'd had for the last decade? What? That Puro Air Purifier we now own and use all the time. I love my Puro Air too. Did you know that indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? Yes, I lived with two teenage boys. I can 100% testify <laughs> to that. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Gases from a preteen boy? <laughs> I'm dreading when my nephews start making those gases. Just you wait. Thankfully, Puro Air uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. You wouldn't drink unfiltered tap water, so why would you breathe unfiltered air? Thanks to my Puro Air Purifier, I feel like I can breathe again. Check it out at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time, getpuroair.com. Check it out now. Hey friends, welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. And I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you joined us for this conversation. Let's dive in. Shanara Williamson believes all children deserve to grow up in a world where they are seen, celebrated, and given the tools to succeed. Raising kids is difficult for anyone. Parenting black and brown children requires intentionality to combat the negative effects racism can have on their sense of self. Shanara is committed to making it easier for other brown parents and believes you don't have to do it alone. Shanara met her husband, Jim, at Howard University, and they've been married for 30 years. Together, they have three remarkable adult daughters. Enjoy this insightful and thoughtful conversation with our new friend, Shanara Williamson. So, Schneer, we are so excited to get to have a conversation with you and so honored you would sit down with us. You and I got to have coffee a couple of weeks ago through a dear mutual friend, Tina, who's been on the podcast. We'll oh, go I'm back and Tina. link to their episodes. She and Sterling were amazing. They were hilarious. Yeah. All the things we know she would be. <laughs> and as I sat having a conversation with you about all of the good that you are doing, the difference you're making. My first thought was, I want to have you on the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I just feel like there's so many good things. And I immediately sent a message to David after our coffee and was like, we need to get her on the podcast and told him about you. And he said, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and and uh, since then, I have listened to some of your podcasts. I have followed you on Instagram, which by the way, <laughs> you and your daughter doing the dance the other day, the seventies. And then now, right? Yes. Well, David, I have to show you. It's the cutest. I can't wait to see this. Oh my goodness. It's mother versus daughter. We were both doing, it's the WAP challenge. And so, you know, I, I, challenge. I, 
gladly put my year. I, I was born in 1970, and then she put the year that she was born. So I'll let, I'll let her tell her own story, but I love the year I was born. Well, you know, we were all three born the same year. Oh, what Isn't a good fun? year. You're dancing like we're year. not, though, let me just say. <laughs> <laughs> me and my foot surgeries in the last year, I could not keep up with you. But... It was it's very so funny. I did all of this stuff to like try to narrow down um, tips that I wanted to give moms and really spent a lot of time with it. And the thing that's taken off is the dancing. Like I was of like, what? I didn't need any <laughs> preparation for that. We we like that's just what we would do in our family. We'd throw in some music, pull back the rec- uh, the rug, and let's just go for it. So oh, I love <laughs> it. Well, okay, well, let's start there. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. Okay. So I um, am married to my college sweetheart. We are celebrating 30 years this year of being married. Um, And he's just such a fun person to share life with. Um, And I share three children with him. We have three adult daughters. They are all in their 20s right now, 22, 24, 26. And uh, we moved to Middle Tennessee 17 years ago for a job opportunity that my husband had. And based on the way uh, things were going in both of our careers, we moved around a couple of times. So I'm thinking that this little pit stop in Tennessee was about five years, <laughs> and we ended up raising our children here. So, mm, Wow. Incredible. I know. And you recently celebrated your 100th episode of your podcast. Congratulations. Thank which you. Which we are so excited about. And will you talk a little bit about what led you to start it? Absolutely. So when my youngest daughter graduated from high school and she was going off to college, um, I remember being at home and just kind of reflecting on what I had just been through. So I have stair-step children. They are about two years apart. The the first two, exactly two years between the second and third, um, a little less than two years. But it was like stair-steps. So I didn't have time to really reflect and think about things after the first one graduated from high school because it was like, get her off to college, get over it, come back. You know, the <laughs> others have stuff going on. By the time that last one went away and we were at home by ourselves, my husband and I, I had time to just think and decompress. And I realized how difficult it had been going through those teenage years. But there was an added layer to it because when I would drill down and I like to journal and I would, you know, write in my journal like, oh, I thought that was difficult or this. When I drilled down, there were things about it that should not have been. Hmm. And the one thing that I would say that I think we should all just not accept and and not allow to be normative, but I think it's with us, is the concept of racism. And the way race played a part, and it was at our dinner table, it was in our minivan, it was with us always, the way that that played a role in the development of my children um, was this extra weight. And, and, and look, I believe life is hard and it's going to be hard for everyone. I'm not trying to take hardness away. Um, but I also think that for, for us, it was as if you're carrying a backpack through life and everyone has a backpack. There were some bricks inside of my backpack that were unnecessary. Mm. And the way that we had to navigate that space of 
how racism could affect the way a child thinks about him or herself and then therefore how they show up in the world. That part of it was more weight than I realized. And so once I wasn't doing that anymore, I was like, whew, <laughs> that was exhausting. Mm. I then realized that it wasn't just for us. When you go through something hard, you can have you can make a choice. And I believe that the choice that my husband and I chose to make was to say, what are the lessons learned? And then how can I show up in the world for others? So I started Brown Mama Bear really just to be a guide to other black and brown parents who want to unpack that and talk about it before they get to the end of it like I did. Yes. Oh, what a gift. I'm so grateful. Me too. Thank you. Yes. Well, on your website, I've also been on your website, um, <laughs> you have brown mama bear tips for helping children thrive, which I love that idea. Will you share one or two of those with us? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So the reason that I called it how to help them thrive is because I realized that I stand in between two generations. Um, my parents both grew up in the segregated South. They grew up in North Carolina. Um, and they grew up at a time where they never saw a white person in a classroom with them. Wow. Now, there were some positives that actually happened because of the way their parents chose to do life. And that is that within their church, within their community, there's this tight-knit um, connectivity that existed. Um, and so my mom would always say things like, yeah, it was good that, you know, things got desegregated, but we lost something. She would say that to me when we were, we lost something. I didn't quite understand it until I was an adult. What they lost was that feeling of um, communal, like watching out for one another in a way that they had to. And, uh, and so I stand in between two different generations. My parents who had that experience of growing up in the segregated South. And then here I am raising three daughters in the South in what we want to call the new South, but we were facing a different iteration of, of racism. It's as if it metastasized into something different. Um, and so with that in mind, my parents needed to survive. And by God's grace, I don't want that for my kids. Survival yes. is not enough. Mm. And we stand on the shoulders of people who survived so we could thrive. So with mm. that in mind, I was like, okay, if I'm going to help them thrive, not, not just merely get by. Um, what are the things that, that, that I tried to do? And, and there's some things that we did intentionally, some things we did unintentionally, but as I was getting ready for the podcast, I wanted to be, I just took time. I took months to just process it because I wanted to be <clears throat> just a little bit more intentional as I'm encouraging other parents. And so one of the things I said is, I want you to provide cultural reinforcements in your home. Now, that's something that most Black families, and I don't want to speak for everybody, maybe not everybody. There are some people who want to say racism doesn't exist. So I will let them do their life their way. For me and mine, yeah. <laughs> as, as we are navigating racism, I'm not even going to, you know, speak to the does it exist or not. I'm, I'm trying to make sure it doesn't hurt as much as it, as it mm. has. Um, and so with that in mind, a lot of us naturally provide cultural reinforcements. Um, the way my parents did it was we always had an ebony magazine laying out on the, it, 
my dad in particular wanted me and my sister to see pictures of beautiful Black people because they grew up in a world where the mantra of Black is beautiful came as a response to people telling them that it wasn't, you know? Mm -hmm. And so because of that, like that was just normal. Um, The first time that I ever heard about Emmett Till being murdered was because it was on the cover of a Jet magazine. Mm -hmm. That gruesome, horrific picture was something my parents thought we can't look away from. They laid it out there. Um, And so there are things like that that were just cultural reinforcements. Um, But they also made sure that joy was a part of it. It was as if my parents wanted to always amplify Black art all around our home. And I talked to to them about it one time, and sometimes they weren't even trying to do it specifically. It's just who they were. It just oozed out of their pores. Um, So we had, like, music playing all the time in our home, you know? And so my parents were celebrating Sam Cooke and... Uh, Al Green and Otis Redding. Like, that's the soundtrack of me growing up. Mm, I heard that's a that great soundtrack. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So they just wanted to make sure that mm. all of the things, the joy and the suffering, all of the things that 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 are the texture of our culture were just represented in our home. So I just, I want to encourage people to put some intention behind that. Put black art up in your home. Make sure that the only things that that your children are are being fed are not only the things that happen in school. You know, we we find in our children's curriculum that Shakespeare is elevated as this wonderful piece of literature, and it is. So is Alice Walker. Mm. You know what I mean? And so, you know, put some books on the bookshelf that are black authors. I, I knew that for my own children, I wanted them to always have first-person narratives. So, so the life of Frederick Douglass, an enslaved man who became free, hearing about slavery from his point of view, not the point of view of the people who owned him, who tried to minimize the gore of it. But what is it like for him to tell us in his own words who he was and what his experience was? That's what I wanted for my kids. Mm. Thank you. Yes. Well, and in building on that, you do an extraordinary job in building awareness and creating opportunity for change. And we love to just ask you, what encouragement or challenge would you offer to any of our white listeners? Well, that's so um, that's such a great question. And I'm really grateful that you had asked that. Most of my work is centering um, black parents and their experience. And in doing so, one of the things that I'm realizing is that many of us have white friends who come to us constantly and ask us questions like, how can I do something in my home or what can I do? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's been an interesting thing for me to ponder that and consider it. Uh, A lot of times from the perspective of wanting to even help my Black friends to know that they don't always have to be the ones to be the only Black friend in 20 other people's lives (laughs) (laughs) while they're also trying to raise their children. (laughs) And so as an empty nester, I could come in and be like, hey, 
here are some tips and you just have them come to me. <laughs> Take this one off your plate. So one of the things that I would say uh, to any of your white listeners is that this idea of dealing with race is not something that the majority of your Black friends have the luxury of choosing when they want to enter in and when they want to step back from. For us in raising our children, that was a constant that was around us that we constantly had to consider, think about, um, and and deal with. And even the times when we would forget about it, surprisingly, something would happen to remind us in a way that was like, oh my goodness. Now, for my white friends, they don't have to deal with that. And so for them, it takes a little bit more empathy and a little bit more humility to recognize that I have a different experience, even when I'm in the same place as them, even when we are at the same school, in the same PTO meeting, in the same football game, cheering for our kids' school, I'm having a different experience than they are. And so the humility needs to come in and being willing to listen to your Black friends who might say something that makes you uncomfortable. Um, if I can only speak to things that make my white friends comfortable, then I'm only bringing a portion, a fraction of myself to the table. I am no longer willing to fraction myself off. Mm. I'm coming whole to any interaction. And so to the extent that someone can't handle that or chooses not to, because they get to choose, I don't. They get to choose that they don't want to deal with race or racism or the effects of racism on our children to the extent that they don't want to deal with it. That's on them. But I'm coming fully to the table. Which any real friend would want. I, I'm so grateful for that reminder. Thank you, Shanira. That's beautiful. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Yes, for the samples, because seasonal allergies are no joke in the state of Tennessee. Or Kentucky, where I spend the summers at Hopetown. I spend most of the summer outdoors and could not function without allergy relief. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available. Relieve sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. You just described my exact state in waking up minus the need for coffee. <laughs> I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can be outside with the kids at camp without my eyes watering like a fountain, and I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. But at Hopetown, a frog could jump into your boat or your bed, and Claritin can't really help with that. That's true, but they've got allergies covered. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Mm -hmm. 
Sissy, we just spoke in town last night and reminded the parents in the room about putting on their oxygen mask first. That great reminder that flight attendants give parents when they board flights. With summer rolling around and kids home more hours of the week than ever, that reminder feels so important. A hilarious dad who works from home told me last night at the book table that when school ends, sometimes his sanity does as well. (laughs) (laughs) You know who could help that dad out? Our friends at Wendy. Wendy is here to help parents relieve the stress in finding high quality sitters when they need them. I am talking daily with parents who are worried about summer childcare logistics. Wendy offers a nanny service where they match college students with families for the summer. We all love summer and your kids especially love summer, but we lose the consistent schedule of kids in school. This creates all kinds of problems. Thankfully, there is a solution to this problem. Wendy, that's W-Y-N-D-Y, is an app that connects families to college student nannies literally in minutes. These college student nannies are background checked, interviewed, and honestly, just awesome. Wendy has been around for seven years. Over 20,000 families have used Wendy to complete more than 140,000 jobs. There are hundreds of qualified college student nannies on Wendy ready to work near you. Families have greater child care needs in the summer and college students are looking for jobs. Wendy is here to match families to these college nannies. Everybody wins. This could be part-time or full-time. Wendy has a match for your needs. All you have to do is go to wendy.com slash rbg to start a search for a nanny. And as a special offer, they are going to knock $50 off your search if you go through that link. Wendy provides top-notch service, but at a fraction of the cost of a traditional nanny agency and no ongoing fees. Here's how it works. Go to wendy.com slash rbg to start your search. A Wendy concierge will find great matches for your job and set up interviews for you. You choose the one you like. Get started now because there are a lot of parents out there looking for nannies for the summer. Go to wyndy.com slash rbg. David, did you get your taxes finished? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> what are you eating? Okay, I am obsessed with these new Chipotle barbecue kettle chips. Will you share? I would have, but they are all gone. Where did you get them? Thrive Market. Uh, how much do we love Thrive Market? I could record an entire podcast about that topic. You know who else loves Thrive Market? Patches. She loves the surf and turf meaty littles from the Honest Kitchen. I love that Patches has a surf and turf situation going on. (laughs) From pets to kids to grown-ups, everyone can find things they love at Thrive. Thrive Market is my go-to for all my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstep is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and I can use their on-site filters to suit my lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with a few clicks. And as a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily and always has some of my favorite brands. 
David, how much did you save on your last order? I saved $32. I saved over $12.67. How much did Patches save? (laughs) A lot. She's ordering more than I am. You got me hooked on ordering frozen foods. I got salmon, bacon, and pork this month. Something else I love is when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. I love that too. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash RBG for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash RBG. Thrivemarket.com slash RBG. Okay. We could talk about all the places that you're bringing a lot of good and Instagram. You're not just dancing. You're bringing a lot of good there too. And I loved recently you talked about something that you had done with your girls. I think about three tips for helping kids learn to advocate for themselves. Will you talk about that? It just seems so important. Uh, Well, I I love giving people tips on just how that you can handle um, your growing children. And so it was really difficult to distill it down to um, three tips because I think it's different at every stage of a child's development. So in general, when I think about advocating for oneself, it was my goal as a parent to do so much on the front end when they were in those elementary years and they totally didn't understand the weirdness of what racism looks like or the bias sometimes that other students or their teachers could have. If if the kids don't understand that, they they can't really advocate for themselves, right? Right. So I was completely there and present to make sure that that happened. But around middle school, definitely by high school, I was trying to turn the reins over so that they could do it for themselves. And one of my big tips was really helping kids to use their own voice. And so, um, you know, I'm 53. At the time, I was in my 40s. The way I speak is different than this generation. So I really wanted my kids to put it in their own words. So we would talk about things around the kitchen table. Say, for instance, um, one of a big one was when uh, Trayvon Martin was murdered. And, you know, we talked about what that um, event was like and all of the things around it. At one point, um, when they were younger, we lived in uh, central Florida. So we even knew some of the area of where it happened. So as we were talking about all the things that happened around that event, um, our children had a different way of speaking about it. And so when they would go to school and people would say things, or a lot of times people minimized uh, what happened there, um, our kids had to find the words that they wanted to use. And so it wouldn't, it would be like them putting on their, their mom's, you know, (laughs) fancy clothes that didn't fit, you know, like my words are too big for them. And so Mm -hmm. I tried to help them find their own words. What does it look like for you to say what that felt like for you? Um, and, and in our home, we talked a lot about our own experiences. Um, we had this game we would play where you had to pick a card and answer the question. And so 
for us as parents, we were answering the question on the card a lot of times to spark a conversation around the dinner table with our kids. I remember one day my husband pulled out the card of tell your kids a time where you were um, anxious as a teenager. And he talked about when he was 16 and got pulled over uh, by the police. And he lived in suburban Detroit at the time. And one of the reasons that it was so shocking to him is because he literally was doing nothing wrong. And he was with a friend and he got lost. And so as he's lost and like in a neighborhood where he pulled into one cul-de-sac and then pulled out and pulled into another, the whole conversation is something our children could totally see because they have watched their dad have a horrible sense of direction their entire <laughs> life. So like they're in the conversation, they're hearing it, they're listening to it. And then as he was explaining to them what happened to him, um, he said that when the police pulled him over and they uh, came to the car, the guns were already drawn. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, bleepity bleep, get out the car. And as they were using expletives with him on the first encounter of him, he understood right away what that meant as a black man in America. He understood at 16, driving while black was something uh, he needed to navigate. And so he it went from him telling them a story to race enters in the picture because he's a black man. And so as they, he's telling them this story, they separated him and his friend, they accused them of stealing the car, da, 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 da. but the wow. fact that the guns were drawn, he was fearful that he would not make it home. He was fearful that their perception of him would mean that they're going to kill him before he even got to defend himself. And so our children understood around our kitchen table that dynamic. They didn't have to think of it from an intellectual point of view. It's the man that they know and love and respect because he's a good man. Mm-hmm. He is a God-fearing, uh, family-supporting, big-hearted man. And they understood that his life could have gotten snuffed out because somebody's perception of him was wrong. And so for them to then go to school and have these conversations, even in a classroom about current events, um, that is a different perspective than anyone else in the classroom because no one's daddy had that happen to them. Right. They did. They needed to understand how to talk about it in words that made sense for them. Thank you for telling that story. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Along those lines, you have said in the last several years, you've seen all of your girls find their voices and just Mm -hmm. would love to hear you talk more about what you would say has contributed to that. Oh, David, just hearing you say that it, it, um, does something to my mama's heart. Yes, Mm. all three of them have found their voice. Um, I think that it is God's grace that they have. It makes no sense based on where they were raised. (laughs) It makes no sense based on some of the experiences that they have had. And all I can say is, but God, like he is um, amazing at hearing the things that we utter to him and asking him to help us with our children um, that I can't even 
I can't even explain. That's thing one. Um, thing two is I think I really, with my husband, we really did try to partner with God to give them an environment in which they could grow. Now, I am no gardener. Let me tell you, I, I kill everything that comes in this house. <laughs> uh. Every plant someone has given me, every flower, every beautiful orchid comes here to die. Uh, so I am not the one. But this is what I know from my friends who are amazing gardeners. One of my girlfriends lives around the corner. Oh my gosh, she's got beautiful things growing. What I know is she is not the one who creates growth. She is the one who provides an environment for growth to take place. So mm. my friend Karen will get out there and she will make sure that the soil is good. Um, she adds nutrients to the soil. She makes sure it's watered and then the growth happens. So for us, um, we put things in our home to let our children know that the outside negative narratives of Black people are not true. Um, so that's me putting something in the soil that they grew in. And I did do that. Doesn't mean I caused the growth, though. And I did so many other things that could have trampled on them. <laughs> there were times I can remember being like, oh, no, that didn't happen at school. Did you tell them that blah, 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 blah? Like those types of ways that I parented, over-parented, that I, I, I did things that could have um, caused them to not find their voice is also true. Mm. I did that. Mm. And so I believe the one who causes the growth really is God. And in spite of me, <laughs> I love that. He did it. Mm. Um, and so I love that my children have all found their voice. I would say because of and in spite of some of the really difficult experiences that they've had, mm. all of that stuff was used together. When they were little, I was trying to help them understand this truth that I uh, believe in Scripture. Um, in the book of Romans, it talks about how all things work together for good. doesn't mean all things are good. does not mean that. So I took every ingredient of making my chocolate chip cookies and put them in little containers and I would make them taste it. The chocolate chips taste really good. Baking soda, not so much. <laughs> when that all gets mixed together and then you put some heat to that thing, something changes. The chemistry mm. changes in it. I believe that my children went through some heat. Mm. They actually went through some things that they should have never had to. So I never want them to understand that 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 it was meant to be that way. I'm saying in spite of that, God used everything for their good. And so I think that um, some of those experiences in school, especially the ones that were the most difficult, is when the people that we trusted the most, the grownups in the room, um, allowed their perception negative perception of Black people to project that on my children mm. when all I did was contract with them to help me get them ready for college. <laughs> yes. Like, dude, I did not ask you to make this more difficult. Right. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. Oh, um, I love that reminder. And I love the visual of doing the chocolate chip cookies. I mean, what a great way for kids to get it and to anchor to the truth of all things work together, but all things are not good. I mean, I, yeah, just such a good reminder. 
Okay, so in this season of our podcast, we're talking about ages and stages of kids. And if you had to say, having raised three grown girls now, your favorite stage, that's probably hard to nail down, but if you were going to just throw something out there, what stage would it be and why? Wow. This is a hard question. (laughs) I know. I think my favorite stage is right now, Mm. right where I am right now. I love my children being adults and all being in their 20s. Um, and, and some of it is just the fun that can come when you're talking adult to adult. Um, they challenge me a lot of times. They'll challenge the way that I think about things. They will encourage me to um, be better. I mean, they're, uh, I would be filling every landfill <laughs> in America <laughs> if it weren't for my children, even causing me to think differently about how we care for the environment. You know, that's mm. just one example. But I feel like at this stage in our lives, I learn as much from them as I ever wanted to impart to them as, as a teacher, as their first teacher. Um, so I love the adult stages and and the fact that they are off and out of my home doing other things is so fun. It gives me great places to go visit. Two of my <laughs> girls live in D.C. Um, and one lives in Atlanta. I love to go visit them. So I, I don't want to be a cop out, but I, I, maybe it's just me. I've loved every stage when I was in it. Yeah. Like, I, I think middle school is the hardest and I did not enjoy it for them. But as their mother... I even, I loved them in middle school. And I remember saying to one of them in particular, like, okay, I think this is the most insecure you're ever going to be in your life. And you could not pay me to go back to middle school. (laughs) If there are all the money in the world, you could not pay me. (laughs) But, um, but I still loved it. I Mm. loved going through that with them. So I think I've loved every stage in the moment. Yes. Mm. Yeah. In thinking back through the stages, what would you say is some of the best parenting advice you've been given? Best parenting advice came from my daddy. Okay, so I'm a daddy's girl. I absolutely (laughs) have an amazing father. Um, When my first daughter was born, my dad came to town to visit and he was holding my daughter in his arms. He looked me in my eye and he said, your job is to work yourself out of a job. Mm. Best parenting advice I ever had. <laughs> and when you think about that, like just, oh my goodness, the the wisdom in that. Mm. He was trying to tell me that when they are able, make them do their own chores. <laughs> mm. I did not. I, I took way too long <laughs> in doing that. Um, I was the kind of mom that liked things my way. So I did it myself for way too long. My dad was trying to give me good advice, work yourself out of a job. And what I think he also wanted and understood was as much as you love them, you want them to be able to live apart from you. You want them to be whole and adult. And that is some of the best advice, because if you begin with the end in mind, the end is they're going to leave my home. What kind of person do I want to put out in the world? What kind of human being do I want leaving this home saying she's a Williamson walking all up in the world, (laughs) doing all the things like I want someone who is compassionate, I want someone who's kind, who who thinks of others, you know, Um, 
I want someone who knows who she is so much that someone can't come gaslight her. Mm. (laughs) I want someone who loves herself so much that she won't fall for some slick guy who really wants to deceive her. Mm -hmm. I want somebody who is so um, aware that they have something special to give to the world that when they go to work, it's not just about the paycheck, but it's about making the world a better place. Like all of those things. So if I back it up, right? Like that's what we want. You back that up. That's why in those early years, even when we retire, we'd read to them at night because I want them to have that kind of intellectual flexibility. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's why I wanted to be the first one to say I love you so that they felt secure. Hmm. Um, so things like that. But But my dad... Best advice. Best advice. <laughs> oh, I love that list of the girls that you're wanting to raise in the world. And I mean, just sitting with you, Shanira, is such a picture of they're not just hearing you want to raise those things in them, but that they're watching you yes. be those mm. things. So mm. thank you for sharing who you are with us and your vulnerability and your graciousness and thoughtfulness. Thank you. Just, I want to be really good. clear, though. I messed up a lot. Well, so sure. So on my podcast, I want people to get like, okay, there might be some wisdom that I receive from others that I applied. Mm. But man, I messed, I messed <laughs> up some things, too. <laughs> and I mean, I think we all have. And so yes. um, none of us is perfect. So um, I feel like people could learn the lessons from the things that I messed up on and at least not make those mistakes. Like, make a new one. <laughs> You don't have to make the same one. <laughs> well, you are very inspiring in in all the aspects. Sure. And we would love for folks to know where they can find and follow along with all that you're doing. Okay. Well, um, I am on Instagram at Brown Mama Bear Podcast. So please follow me there. Um, I also have a website, ShaniraWilliamson.com. Um, that's a landing page they can go to. It's for all the things that I do. I'm an Enneagram coach. I'm also a speaker. Um, I love emceeing events. I just love creating an environment where people can come in and enjoy what they're doing. So they can find out uh, how to hire me for all of those things there. And then you can also go to the Brown Mama Bear uh, website at Brown mamabear.com. That's where I do have my four tips for how to make sure that your child can thrive. And I just want to make sure that people have all the encouragement that they need in all of those spaces. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also come to the podcast. I'm on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. You can find me. It's Brown Mama Bear Podcast. Folks, find your way to all those places. Absolutely. All those places. You will benefit greatly. Yes. We like to end with something fun and food related. So we've got a two-part question for you. Part one oh, <laughs> is queso or guac. And part two is what's your favorite taco? I'm definitely a guac girl. Guac over queso for sure. Um, and I like a good guac. Like keep some big chunks of avocado yes. in there too. Oh, yeah. Um, and then let's see. The other thing is favorite taco. I can do any kind of taco. Okay. I wish I could get a sponsorship right now. So I... <laughs> I love bar taco. Yes. They've got this duck. For anyone who hasn't had it, it's going to sound crazy. But it's a duck taco. I only get it there. It is savory and delicious. And oh my goodness, every bite. I'm just like, oh, no, no. So yeah. (laughs) 
That's great to know. I'll have to try that one. I haven't had it. I haven't had it. I haven't either. Okay, oh, we're going to get the duck. Okay, next time we need to all we're go going together. Duck, yeah. We're yes. going to Bar Taco. Yes. yes, please come with me. That would We'd be great. We love that. <laughs> oh, Shanira, thank you. It just is delightful to get to talk with you. Yes, we can't is. wait for folks to listen. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I am a fan of the work that you guys do. So the fact that you would even have me in this space is really amazing. Well, right back at you. It's been a gift. If you are enjoying the Raising Boys and Girls podcast, click follow on your podcast listening app to subscribe and not miss an episode. Join us next time for another episode where we'll bring you help and hope on your journey of raising boys and girls. 